welcome to part two. So obviously I would recommend listening to part one in its entirety for this episode to make any sense at all. Um, and you know, I realize I talk a heck of a lot. So even though I say that, please go back and listen to part one because this won't make sense. I am going to do a quick recap right now about what I do talk about in part one, just so that way, uh, you know, if, if there's any time spent in between listening to these episodes, this won't seem entirely confusing. But I still must reiterate, listen to part one for this to make sense. Uh, so let me let me get into this uh, quick recap about the goals, uh, the kind of methodology I'm uh, implementing, and then rules I will need to follow as I construct a revised version of the Pokemon Sword and Shield storyline. So goals, I want to revise the storyline in an effort to present you know, what the game gives us with better pacing and then, as a result, better storytelling. One primary aspect is focusing on segments in the game that felt drawn out and parts that weren't fleshed out enough. And in terms of methodology, my revisions and observations come simply from what the game gives me. And uh, to reiterate, as part of the rules as well, you'll hear about it again, nothing is fundamenta uh, fundamentally changing uh, because I'm not an expert or qualified to make claims about drastic changes if you really wanted to know my genuine opinion on the things that should have changed, it would be a whole other topic, a whole other episode. And I'm not an expert in the field, so I can't, I can't make those claims. Because uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a game developer. I think it is pretty difficult to come up with things, so I can't be too uh, beggars can't be choosers kind of thing. So, um, anyways, let me get into the rules now. Uh, with uh, something I should also mention as part of the methodology. Focusing on omission, obviously I'm going to try and remove something so we clean it up. But let me get into the rules now and listen to part one for the specifics of these rules because I'm just going to go kind of rapid fire here. Number one, I am not changing the nature of gameplay and there are conditions that I have listed um, required for removing gameplay segments like maybe a cutscene or a battle against another trainer. A, it does not contribute to the story. B, it is either followed or preceded by a battle, making it repetitive. That would be applicable to the battle segments. C, it is out of place and thus does not affect the gameplay or story if it would be removed. This goes for both gameplay and cutscenes. Uh, D, it does not fundamentally change how we interact with certain characters and it can instead open up the possibility to what? Uh, to have characters operate within the same setting with a, a different purpose. Uh, again, uh, this is a bit, this is more overworld based as opposed to cutscene and battle based. So if you're walking through a city and you meet certain characters, then depending on where we're at in the story, uh, that might be shifted around given the, the logics of it. Number two, I am not changing the story, only reorganizing. So what changes is how things happen, not what happens. And this will include the post game. Number three, the role of Pokemon in the story will remain the same. Number four, this experiment is not going to consider anything outside of the experience of the game. We're only focusing on what the main story of Pokemon Sword and Shield, that's the only content that I'm focusing on. Uh, number five, I will not be adding Pokemon that were added to the DLC to the original game. Number six, character arcs will be focused on a whole lot more. And finally, number seven, any suggestions and changes I mentioned are nothing more than that. These suggestions and or changes are not said with the intention of reinventing, but instead kind of pointing out where there are pitfalls and there's gaps in the story. And I wouldn't say it's the most conclusive or definitive change or suggestion, because it's mostly based on personal bias, opinion, uh, that kind of thing. 
So now that we've arrived at this very beefy part of the experiment, I'll outline a couple things so hopefully this doesn't get too confusing. I apologize for having to break this down so much. So we've gone through kind of the goals of this experiment. We've gone through how I plan to go about doing things and the rules that I plan to follow as I try and revise the storyline in terms of reorganization. Um, so if I'm gonna be completely honest, this episode itself, like the experiment is also experimental format wise, because I might, you know, who knows, I might even make this like a mini series like I did in the first season. I have a, um, I have, there's a, there's a series, little mini series, if you will, called Cultural Investigations, where certain cultures from that video game were focused on. So this might be something like that, where I do this with other games as well. Um, but anyways, moving on. So let me break down what you're about to hear from me. So first, I'll break down uh, what the summary did not explain. So in part one, I talk, I read the Bulbapedia description of the Pokemon Sword and Shield storyline. So here, I'm actually going to get to the nitty gritty stuff. I'm going to take apart what happens when you go to a place. And it's not just simply player goes to this location, leaves, goes to next place. You're going to hear about all the little things, for the most part, that happen in between traveling and such. We're going to get to those, those really tiny details. And basically what that'll mean is that I'm going to be walking you through the game experience because that summary is uh, that I read out in part one, that is merely a summary. So you're going to get like, we are kind of just going to go through the game together. We're just not actually going to be playing it. You're just going to be hearing me say a ton of words. Um, so obviously, like I've said, this refers to where characters, like who goes where, um, character interactions and individual character arcs, who you battle against, uh, and so on, all those, all those things. And then within this process, I'll deconstruct the event I'm addressing and, you know, what comments I might have in respect to the story, characters, pacing, just, it's, it might just be general at some point, I might say something like, okay, this is fine, moving on, something like that. I'll be unpacking certain events uh, at length um, and will most likely digress to explain what something means in order to justify a shift or explain why something can't change. So we are probably going to get instances where you're going to hear me ramble a little bit because it's like, all right, this thing is kind of a part of the scene and it was a little, it didn't really make sense to talk about it before. So I'm going to talk about it now and then we'll resume program. You're going to hear that probably a couple times in my, in my narration as we go through this. So that's kind of the first half of this as well. Then the second half is that I will summarize all the shifts that uh, could logically take place in an effort to present a more coherent storyline um, that works better for pacing while also ensuring that nothing is fundamentally changing about the game. So you're gonna hear, you heard my bulb, the Bulbapedia description that I read out in part one. Then once I break down everything, deconstruct, commentary, all that fun stuff, we're gonna move over and hear me read out my own version. So you could kind of contrast that with the Bulbapedia description. Um, you can treat, so basically as like as an auditory experience, you can treat the first part as me working out my thoughts as I break down the story, while the second part is more polished and established. And uh, as also towards the end of that summary, I'll not conclusively, but I will mention maybe things about the DLC. I'll mention things about uh, changes that I don't, think I could actually implement because then it would change something about the story, but it's like, this would have helped if this was included in the game. You're going to hear about that in the second part. So gear up folks, as will I, it's about time I get that snorkeling gear on because this is undoubtedly a deep dive like no other. Let's go.
Okay, let's get right into it. The game begins with a cutscene that shows an exhibition match between the eighth gym leader and the reigning champion, Raihan and Leon respectively, introduced by a character named Chairman Rose, who explains what Pokemon are and their contribution to the world. Um, so, I mean, I'll build on this a little bit more, but I don't think Rose should have been the character explaining Pokemon to us. I don't, I don't think he should have been that character. We're going to learn more about his character as I go through my ramblings, but I don't think it should have been him. So one change I would suggest would just be to have the region's professor, uh, Professor Magnolia, explain Pokemon. Since traditionally in core series Pokemon games, the character that first, you know, explains what Pokemon are to the player is the person who is an expert on Pokemon, namely the professor of that region. They may not be an expert about all things Pokemon, but they're an expert about a certain topic about Pokemon, such as like, let's say evolution, which is I think one of the earlier professors. But it's like, it would have, in my opinion, made a bit more sense if it was Professor Magnolia. My omission then would be to have Rose removed from this process and maybe as a change in in its uh, in his place, have the stadium announcer explain Pokemon. So this might seem like a bit of a strange suggestion and a bit, uh, I guess, like contradicting what I just said about Professor Magnolia, but hear me out. For context, the gyms in this game operate like football or soccer stadiums. So there's an there's an announcer who introduces the trainers on the field and who, you know, who's battling who. Uh, but since the unnamed character's role is to introduce characters, I feel like it'll it could still make sense for that uh, um, for that unnamed character to explain what Pokemon are kind of sort of breaking the fourth wall, not really. Um, uh, and then returning to the main action to focus on Raihan and Leon's battle. Uh, so, because the thing is, is that while it would make more sense from a character standpoint to have Professor Magnolia be the person explaining what Pokemon are, the setting doesn't really permit for that change to be organic because she wouldn't, she's not gonna, she's not part of like the stadium experience or whatever. Chairman Rose, I get why he's he's there. He has a stake in like the Pokemon League and stuff in this game, but I, I don't think it should have been him. So, anyways, um, uh, you just have the, maybe the stadium announcer do it instead, and then you can still introduce the characters in their respective roles and also introduce the core gimmick of the game. So, here's the thing: uh, Dynamaxing has to be my least favorite gimmick of all introduced in Pokemon games. I don't necessarily hate it per se, but I don't I don't like it. It's weird. And it's strange because Dynamaxing has a big part of the lore in this game, but it's not like you get a sense of that at all here. It just feels like this is more of a showcase and you're just here to see the kind of spectacle that is the giant Pokemon scene. Like that's that's anyways, I think I'll build on that later. So next player is presented with their hometown, Postwig, and their rival character, Hop. Hop, we're gonna hear a lot about Hop as I go through these ramblings. So I think one of Hop's biggest character flaws is having his entire personality revolve around the fact that he's the younger brother of the champion. This is established quite early, so it's not like that's like a huge spoiler, right? He doesn't have an identity of his own, and that's not necessarily like a bad thing to explore in terms of like soul searching or identity establishing kind of thing. I feel like though this is ruined by the fact that he's a bit ignorant and a little bit pretentious. You know, he, he sits on his high horse um, in the sense that not only does he feel like he can't lose because of Leon's status as champion, he doesn't want to hinder his brother's status as champion by losing to people. Um, but then he's also like, he's ambitious uh, to be a strong trainer and dethrone his brother. So he feels like he can't be beat even by you, the player. 
you know, he's competitive, which I don't mind, and he has drive, but it feels like it's for all the wrong reasons. He's trying not to tarnish his brother's name, but he's also trying to beat his brother and then beat you simultaneously. It just feels like a bit confusing. So as a general omission that'll apply to many instances across this game, I have any dialogue that focuses a lot on Hop's desire to win reduced because it's usually with the context that he's trying to beat Leon. But again, I don't know that it's for the right reasons. So a revision I would offer is to focus on Hop's insecurities more. Um, because, you know, he has this amazing trainer for brother and people might think he won't amount to anything because he is, you know, some he's, he's that person's younger brother. That should be the context rather than him not amounting to Leon's reputation. He should want to be a powerful trainer in his own right, not just because he needs to beat his champ, like the, his brother, the champion. The dialogue can be worded in a way that subtly reflects this and shows the player that he's not just a kid who wants to beat his older brother, but that he's his own person who wants to stand on his own two feet. That would have been a, a real plus for his character. So that's a general critique on Hop. So next, the player travels with Hop to Wedgehurst, where you meet Leon posing for fans. He approaches Hop and the player and returns home to give uh, Hop and the player their first Pokemon. So while in Wedgehurst, I think I just cut down the dialogue a little bit, get to the point a bit faster. And this is a this is a flaw in generations in the Generation Seven games as well, which was padding the beginning of the game with cutscenes and long sections of characters just talking. You're barely doing any playing. So in this game, I would do the same thing, which is just reduce the amount of dialogue. Anyways, let's continue on. I was looking at my notes and then I just stopped reading. My eyes just decided not to work for a solid 30 seconds. So I had like the most awkward pause, even for jokes, I would not have kept it in. So I have to unfortunately make another quick cut here. I see another cause I'm pretty sure I did that in like a recent episode too. I don't know. I think I've, I've, this is happening a lot more than I'd like. I apologize for this inconvenience folks, but we're gonna get back to the main program now. Okay, so Leon is the character that uh, gives you, um, he gives you your first Pokemon, not Professor Magnolia again. So the thing is, I don't entirely mind this because Leon, you know, he is a character of importance. He knows a lot about Pokemon and uh, the cutscene that also introduces the start of Pokemon is an amazing one. So it's like, oh, excuse me. Um, so I, I don't find any real fault with this. Um, so right after you choose your starter Pokemon, you battle Hop, and then you have dinner at Hop's place to celebrate. So I'd say this is one of the first things I would definitively reorganize. Um, it would make more sense to have this happen before Leon gives player their starter Pokemon. Um, because then it makes more sense pacing-wise when you start adventuring after acquiring your first Pokemon, basically. So what I would say is that uh, instead of having the player and Hop go to Wedgehurst, come back, get your starter Pokemon, have a cutscene where you're having dinner with the families, and then you are able to start your Pokemon journey. That feels a bit clunky to me. Um, so instead, it would probably be something like, okay, you go to Wedgehurst, you come back, have a little cutscene for dinner, right? Then after that, then you get the starter Pokemon, and then you just start adventuring. You get right into it. That would work a lot better, in my opinion. And pacing-wise, I think it fits better because of what follows. So the player then sees a gate near their house is broken down, and this is because of a Pokemon named Wooloo, which is this sheep-type Pokemon, breaking it down beforehand. 
Um, but I wouldn't change that because like that happens originally is that you notice beforehand that it's like you see this Pokemon that's just bashing its head against this wooden gate. And then after you get your starter Pokemon and stuff on the cutscene and whatever, you find out that this gate is destroyed. So that's that wouldn't change. It would just change it in the order of appearance given what I have reorganized, but not fundamentally. So Hop and the player go to investigate past that broken down wooden gate, and they go into this mysterious forest known as the Slumbering Weld. Weald? Weld? I still don't know. Um, and they encounter a strange Pokemon while searching for Wulu. This Pokemon cannot be defeated, and after the player is unconscious, uh, they wake up and Leon arrives to tell the player and Hop that the Wulu is okay. So I'd keep this part in for sure because it adds to the mystery of the Pokemon you just found, which it couldn't be attacked and also it vaguely resembles the Pokemon you see on the box art for Pokemon Sword and Shield. So uh, they are definitely the legendary Pokemon, they just don't appear in the same form. So it adds a little something because you're like, why don't they look exactly how they do on the box art? Question marks are raised. So this segment is fine. Then the player goes to Wedgehurst, again, back to Wedgehurst, to go to the lab and meet the professor's assistant, Sonia. So this segment, again, can stay because there really is no other way to introduce Sonia's character. Um, and again, what happens after this also, I, you can't really change. So the idea is that once you uh, go kind of northwest, sorry, northeast of Wedgehurst, it takes you down this path. That's where Leon will give you, uh, give the player a bunch of Pokeballs and then you'll be able to catch stuff for your own. So you will have more Pokemon on your team other than just your starter Pokemon. Uh, and then you have to head all the way over to Professor Magnolia's house. Uh, Professor Magnolia is responsible for giving the player and Hop their Dynamax bands, which allows the player to Dynamax their Pokemon with this like embedded rock thing called the Wishing, Wishing Star, I think. Um, and her house isn't closed so again you got to travel you got to beat maybe one like two or three trainers go there and then uh get the stuff from her then uh there's a lot of dialogue um can't really omit anything truly from this this section because it's it it does apply to later segments in the game so this this part of the game is deaf it will be inevitably tedious but the one thing i can omit here is the battle with hop uh, you're, we're gonna, we're gonna hear about that a bit more in a bit. So after doing all that, you know, running back and forth in Wedgehurst, you come, you leave Professor Magnolia's house, come back to Wedgehurst, the player and Hopper given camping sets from the, their respective mom characters, and board a train to arrive at the meetup spot outside of the wild area, wild area. So again, this is all fine. Uh, including the travel between this spot to the entrance of Modestoke. So Modestoke is like the first major city that the players interact with in the game. Um, like in terms of size as well, it's just, it's a lot bigger than Wedgehurst. Postwick is like, has a total of three houses, two, I think. Anyways, once in Modestoke, there is a lot we're gonna be removing from here. There's some exposition from Sonia and Leon gives, player, like, gives the player an item. This city is the location of the third gym, not the first. So there shouldn't, in my opinion, there shouldn't be any reason to stay here other than using the place as like a conduit between locations, since the rest of Galar is only accessible by exiting Modestoke to the east or west. So you can't get to other places if you don't go through here. That's fine. This place isn't the home of the first gym. Also fine. But this is where we're going to have to reduce things down a bit. I will, I, I just need to reiterate this time and time again. This game really went ham on the whole football slash soccer motif. And they make a lot of mo like sports motifs in this game. So they 
the, in the game, they decide to do this by holding a ceremony for the trainers participating in the gym challenge, referring to the journey, you know, undertaking the tedious process of defeating all eight gym leaders and eventually facing the champion. So I would remove a large portion of this section, which includes the checking in at the Badu drop in, battling Hop, battling Team Yell, meeting Marnie, and then the ceremony itself. We're going to reduce a whole lot from that. So. I get that the ceremony is meant to introduce the gym leaders to the player and also for the player to meet their other two rivals, namely Beatty and Marnie. But you could just have Marnie and Beatty be characters that you pass by in Motostoke without immediately knowing their role or their importance. Marnie more so, uh, Beatty more so than Marnie. Beatty can have the foreshadowing. Marnie, you will still definitely interact with in Motostoke. So in terms of omission, I think this meets my criteria for battle segment slash scene removal because if Marnie and Beatty are already programmed to appear in Motostoke, you could just have them hanging around. Uh, Marnie has dialogue, so some of that can stay in and be reduced to fit this revised setting. Um, my, re my reasoning for removing the entire ceremony is... I mean, you're meant to be introduced to the gym leaders here, so you're gonna know everyone's names in advance. And I get that because it's like the sports motif. You're, you're it's like you are—they're kind of like celebrities. You're, you're already supposed to know who they are, um, and the only way to introduce that, I suppose, is that you have this really grand ceremony that tells you about everyone. But in the game, the only two gym leaders of relative importance are Opal and Pierce, who we'll get into later. And then Raihan is a bit more secondary, just because of what you have to do in Hammerlock. And again, I will get to that. But the other five gym leaders are just kind of meh. They're just kind of there. You battle, like once you eventually get to their respective gyms, you battle them and you're done with it. They don't really do anything else uh, that in a much broader context. They do other things, just not a whole lot more though. Um, so if, if you only really have to care about three, and three is pushing it because Opal and Pierce again are the gym leaders that get the most focus in this game. That's two out of eight, right? This is just. Do you really need a whole cutscene dedicated to showing all these characters? I don't. I don't know. And it's not that the gym leaders lack personality, and to their credit, they do feel like characters in their own right, all of them. You do get a chance to meet them. But th th that's the thing, right? So even with that being said, certain gym leaders have an introduction outside of the ceremony. So it's like when you're heading to the city or the town or whatever where you're going to face a gym leader. There are two that I can think of right off the- actually the first three gym leaders all have this really similar introduction, which is that you have a small cutscene where you talk to them, get a sense of their personality, and then you'll eventually have to go to the gym and battle them. The, so you already get individual character introductions along with this whole ceremony that shows them and gives you like a glimpse at their personalities because of how they emote and stuff. It just feels so extra. I get the point again of the ceremony, but like I mentioned before, the game, the beginning of the game tends to be tedious by nature. Like it's just, it's hard to make it faster or fix the pacing, especially with these newer Pokemon games. And by meandering more than normal, it doesn't really feel like you're playing the game. It just feels like you're watching a lot of things happen. So if I had to summarize all of that, basically we're removing the entire ceremony part, but here's where Here's where I will, uh, like, I think, mention some things that uh, that can stick. So I should mention, and I do believe this happens after the ceremony, but I, I have to 
explain it now just so it makes sense with the reorganization. There's one thing I forgot to mention about the Badu drop-in, which is that this is where Sonia explains the mysterious statue to the players. There's a statue that's just randomly there in like the kind of front foyer area. In the original game, you face you face Hop, then you face Team Yell, and then you talk to Marnie. And I said that we're getting rid of all that because basically the idea is that you check in uh, to the inn, then the next day you would go and for the ceremony, and then after the ceremony, you can head out. But if I'm getting rid of all the stuff that happens in the Badu drop in, I also need to address that this whole thing with Sonia happens, I believe, after the ceremony, I think. So anyway, Sonia, as we know, is already wandering around Modus Stoke and plans to research about lore in Galar. So it makes more sense for Sonia to look into the statue while the player is registering to be an official competitor in the league challenge, rather than just randomly booking into a hotel where a statue happens to be located. I also think that having Sonia introduce the statue and then having the player sleep over at the hotel or something like I just it, it takes away from the lore because it just feels like oh god okay I'm gonna start my gym challenge but now like Sonia needs to talk to me um uh, you, you don't want to give off that vibe so I would keep the part in obviously that Sonia explains the statue um but uh you're not gonna be like staying overnight at the inn for example um, you know, you can actually go inside the inn, you can go inside the elevator and check out the rooms and stuff, and I think there's items, uh, like previous games before, this is a mechanic that's already been around. So the inn can just function as a place to explore for items rather than somewhere that you need to stay overnight, have like a, a black screen that's like a mini cutscene, and then the game resumes, like it just takes so much time. Um, and like I said, we're removing Hop's battle from the inn, it makes a little more sense to battle him on the way out of Modesto, um, so then you're both officially registered in the gym challenge. Um, although left to personal preference, I'd get rid of, yeah, I'd, I mean, you know, the, the, so by this point in the game, you've technically battled, so in the original story, you've already battled Hop three times now. So you battled him when you first got your start at Pokemon, then you battle him again at Magnolia's house. And then you battle him again at the Budu drop in, and then you battle him again as you're exiting Modus. That's four battles, and you haven't even gotten to the first gym. So, like I, I kind of reiterated before, what I want to highlight is that a lot of the pacing could be fixed simply by removing a couple battles with Hop. Because in previous Pokemon games, for further context, you don't tend to know when you face your rival next, because they are off on their own doing their own thing. In those earlier games, it's a real test of strength when you do happen to run into your rival, which usually comes as a surprise. You don't tend to know that your rival's just gonna appear and then you have to battle. It tends to be a lot more abrupt, and it, again, it's a, it feels more like a, a test of strength. It just feels really repetitive in this game with Hop, though, because it's more like a chore rather than an actual challenge. And your team hasn't changed that much, probably, by the time that you have all these battles. You've maybe added maybe one or two team members, but nothing's drastically changed about your team. And because he travels alongside you rather than going off on his own, you don't ever get a break from him, which is which adds to the repetitiveness of these battles. So moving on. Uh, so I keep the part that shows Hop and the player registering themselves for the gym. Uh, for the gym challenge to maintain this uh, formalized process. So let me go over real quick because I just realized my rambling can just be really confusing. So let me go over real quick what exactly the reorganized version would kind of be like. I'm going to go over it in the summary, which will sound cleaner, but just for context now. So after the player meets Sonia and Leon, they head over for the gym challenge registration. 
and then for what I'm about to describe here. But then after doing all the stuff here, when the registration finishes, you head on over to the Budu drop in, and then uh, you will meet Marnie there. Team Yell will be in the background, but you don't battle them. Hop doesn't go there at all. And Sonia explains this at you. But anyways, let's talk about what happens when you register for the gym challenge. So uh, the ceremony is removed, right? Um, so you, we just skip right over to the player and hop meeting Chairman Rose, who, you know, like I said, he's a high ranking position in like the league. He's the leader of Macrocosmos, which is a company based in Galar and provides jobs for Pokemon. And it kind of works as this like multifaceted company that's entrenched in Galar's operations. So it's, it's pretty important for the functioning of the region, I suppose. <laughs> like, I don't... I, Okay, sure. Um, this would also be a great time in the game to implicitly introduce BD without immediately showing the connection between Rose and BD because there is one, which I'll get into a bit more detail later. So after all these talks, again, Budu drop in, meet with Sonia. She tells you about the statue. Talk to Marnie, because Marnie's hanging out at the Budu drop in. You notice Team Yell there, but nothing happens quite yet. Then you're exiting uh, Motostoke westward to head towards Turfield, home of the first gym. The thing about this game is that obviously a lot happens between the first game and, uh, sorry, the first game, the first gym and the hometown. But I think the removal of the ceremony and the reorganization of certain segments, as I've described, will make this pacing less tedious because there's nothing I can, there's nothing I can really admit, uh, um, admit, <laughs> there's nothing I can really omit when it comes to this next part in terms of traveling to Turfield. So you meet Sonya along the way, she tells you some stuff. Then you head into this place called the Galar Mine. Then once you exit the mine, then you go to this like kind of field area, which is just outside of Turfield. Um, and then you meet the gym leader uh, of Turfield, Milo. And then you're able to enter Turfield. So nothing, nothing about that is uh, going to change. I should mention though that at the end of Galar Mine, like just as you're about to exit, BD shows up and battles you. Um, but this makes sense. And again, it's not entirely clear what his role is, but he's now at least a familiar face. So after meeting uh, Milo and then entering Turfield, um, Sonia meets up with you again and talks to you about this engraving on the hill, uh, on a hill that's near Turfield that depicts a lore-related event. So I would have liked it if it was possible to get up close to the hill and maybe have a cutscene foreshadowing what'll happen later. But again, that's more of a personal preference because the, the, the segment's staying in anyway. So after, the, after you um, beat the gym, you go through the next route and you meet Team Miel for a second time, but in the revert, in like the revised version, this would be the second time you're meeting them, but the first time you're battling them. So, because the battle of Budu drop in is not happening in my version. So you'd get a sense that they're just Marnie hype folk all the same, since they literally just hold up bands or towels or something with her face on it. Um, I would omit the battle you have with Hop following this because again, it's repetitive and you literally just beat your first gym. Like, why does he keep battling you? If you really, if you, if, I mean, if, I, if you really wanted to keep at least one of those battles in, the battle after you exit Modestoke makes the most sense because it's like, hey, we've officially registered for the gym, like the gym challenge now. Let's let's battle to get like the hype going. But even then, I I don't prefer that. So after you progress through this route, the next gym is Hallbury, and I wouldn't change anything that happens here. Uh, there's a meeting with Rose, who's currently in disguise, and Macrocosmos's mysterious vice president, um, Olena. Um, all that's fine for me. Um, 
basically what will happen though is that you really only start your discussion with these two characters after you beat the gym so it's like again fine and the way that the game introduces the gym leader of hullbury whose name is nessa it's also fine um also less work for me that i wouldn't change anything that happens here or in galar mine number two since hop battles with you and not against you when you run into team yell again and then meet the third gym leader kabu because you need to find him so that way he can return to Modestoke and fight you. Um, once you do that, you go to you go to Modestoke, um, and then uh, you beat Kapu, and then that's done. And then the first three gym leaders give you like a send off when you're about to leave Modestoke. I mean, I suppose that's fine. A personal preference, I would get rid of the three gym leaders being like, okay, you beat all three of us, now go on your, your Pokemon journey and have fun. It just feels like a really, 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 really long tutorial phase for absolutely no reason. Um, the send-off's not a bad touch, but left to my own devices, I would get rid of that too. I would just have it that's like, okay, beat Kabu, moving on. So the purpose of going back to Modestoke is that you have to go through the wild area again and there's a whole other section of the wild area that is accessible but not advisable that you go through when you first start the game because there's a lot of high level pokemon ro uh, roaming around basically what you need to do is that when you exit the wild area like when you go back from Modestoke into the wild area you need to head uh westward cross a bridge and then just head straight north which will take you to the next city known as hammerlock um, and obviously nothing will change about that process. When you arrive, it's pretty dialogue heavy from characters like Rose and I believe Leon. Uh, some other characters too, I don't know, I can't remember off the top of my head. I would just cut down on the dialogue here because I think the pacing would be better if you spent more time getting through Hammerlock, like Hammerlock and just figuring out that it's an energy source for Dalar or something like that. I don't know, like just get to the point faster basically hammerlock is, is is supposed to be a place of lore as well so i focus more on showing rather than telling the things rose explains here could have easily been explained when you met him in hullbury so if anything i would shift his dialogue from here to give us a longer scene in hullbury and then absolutely nothing in hammerlock so you can focus entirely on the lore so Raihan, who's the eighth gym leader, is located here. And after taking you to the bolt, you enter a room that references some lore stuff, which I believe Sonia is also present for. She's there to tell you what those tapestries mean and such. So if the dialogue is reduced from the other characters like Leon and Rose Pryor, this part would be fine because it takes so much time to exit Hammerlock in the original story. So the time you spend in between the third and fourth gym is also a lot. Like, it might not seem too, like too bad, but it's so much talking, lots of cutscenes, um, that kind of thing. So the bottom line would just be to speed up this part of the game. So then, I mean, of course, because this section of the game kind of mimics what happens in the first part of the game with their first three gyms, but anyways. So moving westward again to Stoan side, more specifically the route leading towards that city, um, there's a scuffle between uh, you like sorry the player and team yell hop arrives so he can help you out um the whole reason for it is that team yell is trying not to wake up this pokemon that's just sleeping nearby but then they're also making a ruckus so it's like they're being counterproductive because they're making noise while also yelling that don't wake this pokemon up so you battle them to basically just get them to shut up uh but then after i think that whole thing happens you meet opal who i've mentioned before you meet opal who is the fifth gym leader um so one thing i would omit is just getting rid of her from the scene and then just have the player battle team yell and cover for hop after he loses to team to the other team yell member because hop actually loses here um so like i said opal comes after this whole thing takes place i believe 
Um, but hers is she's the fifth gym leader, not the fourth. She is a gym that comes before her. And personally, I don't think she contributes much to the game aside from just randomly appearing. I just I just would like to reduce how often we see her. We don't need to see Opal that often. Like I could wait until her gym to meet her for the first time, in my opinion. I, I should clarify also that there is this added like gimmick, if you will, in this game called lead cards. Characters have lead cards, as is the player that's customizable, um, which I don't hate, but I believe Opal gives you the lead card of the gym leader you will face in Stone Side. Her name is, so the fourth gym leader is B or Alistair, depending on the version game you get. It's B in Pokemon Sword and it's Alistair in Shield. Uh, so you'll get the, like the, the lead card of the respective game. Um, but why does Opal have to give you it? It's not like there's an explanation for this in the game, why certain characters distribute lead cards and why some don't. So as a revision that can apply to maybe the rest of the game on the topic of lead cards, and this would be a minor pause, a minor pause in the commentary, I would have the player given the lead card of the gym leader after beating each respective gym leader. That way these collectibles were like earned in a, in a sense, and you can learn fun facts about those characters after knowing their names. So it's like, I know who I just battled, but it's cool that there's all this other additional information about them. Because uh, it's like a, re like a reward system, rather than knowing everything about them before entering the gym, because the added function of the league card is not just so that it's a pretty collectible that you can customize, but other players in the game have a league card, and when you turn it around, you basically get like a little story character arc exposition thing written up that tells you a little bit about their life and things like that. Some are more lengthy than others in comparison to certain characters. Um, so, but I feel like that works better in the sense of a reward system. It's not like you did anything to earn that information, uh, in my opinion. So, I mean, the point of this game, again, is to like harp on the constant football soccer motif thing, since the gym leaders are treated like sports celebrities. But I just find it a little strange that if the gym leaders just randomly, like randomly promoting other gym leaders, especially to random gym challenge, it just comes across as strange. I don't know, I would just suggest a different system altogether for this, simply because Opal does not need to appear here. One of the primary reasons that she appears in the first place is just to give you that card. It feels tedious. <sighs> Can you believe we're only talking about the fourth gym right now? Anyways, once in Stoneside, you bat the battle with Hop here is fairly questionable. But since he lost Beatty when you like when the player in Hop left Modesto, because Beatty approaches the two of you and is like, I'm gonna beat Hop now. And he does that. Uh, and then of course once you ex uh, exit Hammerlock, that's why Hop loses a second time, because his morale's already been like beaten down. I'm willing to let the battle in Stoan side slide, especially if I've already removed basically like two of the battles that happened prior or three of the battles that happened prior to this. So pacing wise, it's it's alright. So one of the major things that happens in Stoan side is the destruction of uh, the mural. There's a mural there that's supposed to be like a big part of Galarian history. So for me, this is a bit, it's a little difficult to place pacing wise. I can't figure out if, if it should remain unchanged or should be moved around in terms of the order of events. So personally, I feel like it would make more sense to deal with what happens at the mural after going through Glimwood Tangle and Valenly. Uh, which is the home of the fifth gym. Then meaning that the player will have beaten fifth, like five gyms by the time that the mural is destroyed. So there's a device in the game that you get called a Rotom phone. So communication wouldn't be hard. It's like, oh, uh, so let's say you get a call from Sonia who is in Stone Side. Um, 
maybe she calls and says like that there's something going on with the mural and that you like the player needs to be there to solve that issue the game can make it so that sonia is suspicious that the mural was hiding something rather than accidentally or whatever surprised to figure out that the mural was like a cover-up for another statue that references more lore stuff so it'll also force the player to head to snow on side before returning to hammerlock again i feel like this works better in some ways just because i prefer that there'd be little time in between the fourth and fifth gyms when when the beginning of the game feels so slow so if there's so much time spent in between the first three gyms and then there's another like added length of time between the third and fourth gyms then make it so that the fourth and fifth gyms are also a bit quicker because you've just spent so much time not facing people I, you gotta you gotta cut some things down and you gotta speed some other things up and that's that's pretty consistent with a lot of what should be changed in this game in my opinion so it like it'd be difficult to speed up the beginning of the game without changing things fundamentally but at least for this section of the game i feel like this would be the best you could do so after you learn some more lore stuff from Sonia, the player can head to Hammerlock and then continue with the gym challenge. I believe you battle hop yet again when you exit Hammerlock East, like when you're exiting eastward of the city. And yeah, we're just getting to a point where it's like, <sighs> we're battling him so much. Like why, why? I'll say I'll talk about this maybe more definitively in the summary section, but I just can't deal with Hop right now. You know, just eh. <sighs> anyways. The next segment of the game shows the player going through the next route, which will take the player to the next city, Surchester. Once there, you go to a restaurant-type place to meet with Sony and Hop. You find a painting that again references lore stuff in this random place. So I don't actually think this is unrealistic because art pieces that have historical value do tend to end up in places like this, or in a much more domestic uh, environment than one would think. Um, but uh, yeah, so if you thought that we weren't going to have another battle with Hop, you were wrong. You battle Hop yet again when you arrive in Surchester after you have this whole thing, I think, at the restaurant. Um, basically in the same vein as removing the battle against him in Hammerlock. Either get rid of that and keep this one in, or keep the battle once you're exiting Hammerlock in and get rid of this one. It's, again, too much. The only thing I can give Hop credit for is changing up his team members so you're never facing the same exact batch of Pokemon. But it's not like that ultimately affects, you know, both of your progress in the game. It's not like he's getting any harder to beat. I would, maybe he's getting easier to beat for some, depending on, you know, how good you are with Pokemon or how easy this game is for you. He's just not a challenge. You're both beating, like, like the player and Hop are like beating gyms roughly at the same rate. Um, so it, again, the repetitiveness, I just, God, I just sound like a broken record. I just feel like I'm repeating myself a lot and I feel really bad. But anyways, once in Surchester, the player faces Melanie or Gordy, depending on the version you get. So that'll all stay. The route afterwards is also fine. And then we get to Spike Myth, home of the seventh gym. So we learn here that Team Yell has kind of put the city on hold or some kind of lockdown. And then the player has to battle Marnie. Um, I know that I didn't get into much detail about the other rivals, but because Marnie and BD feel like more of a challenge and you don't face them as frequently as Hop, all their battles can stay. But in any case, getting through Spike Myth is a bit tedious because you face trainers in like a 
like a relay. And then you face the gym leader, Pierce, who happens to be Marnie's older brother. So I honestly, I honestly don't know what I would have to change about the segment to make the pacing a bit better or just making this less tedious because it relies more on battling trainers. And that's a part of the game that would have to stay the same. It's, it's, it's a technical aspect that I, I can't change. Um, I would have liked it if you, you know, if it was possible to explore other parts of Spike Myth first or something and not just immediately have, like, have to battle a couple team male trainers and then peers. Spike Myth is, like, really small and narrow. There's not a whole lot to do. So maybe that's just the nature of the location and there's nothing I could really do about it. But anyways, I believe after this, it's back to Hammerlock. And then there's some news as you're heading on route back to Hamelock that Leon had to deal with a Dynamax Pokemon that was large, even for a Dynamax Pokemon or something like that. It's fairly quick, uh, I'd say, from this point onwards, because as soon as you exit Spike Myth to the west, you head back to Hammerlock uh, to face Raihan, the final gym leader. So that would all have to stay. So. I mentioned because I mentioned this before. Ever since the player first heads to Hammerlock, there like there's only I guess some things I could realistically shift around. And again, I do apologize for how repetitive. Like that sounds that it's like oh yeah, this can kind of stay. This might have to change, but I'm not sure. Uh, but there are suggestions I have in mind because of the way this analysis has played out so far. So I'm gonna digress a little bit for here. Let's put the commentary a bit on pause. Basically, let's let's put a bookmark. So where we're at in the story deconstruction is that we have arrived at Hammerlock um, just before facing Raihan, the final gym leader. So let's put that on pause now. So if my rules predicate that I cannot change anything regarding gameplay and game design, wow, my chair creaked so loudly for that. If my rules predicate that I cannot change anything regarding gameplay and game design, meaning the way that the region is mapped out and routes cannot be changed, I would have preferred that this part of the game did not mimic the first third of the game, which I was kind of touching on before. So what I'm about to explain here is a shift I wouldn't formally suggest, but something I think would have really helped with storytelling and pacing. So let's go, let's turn the clock back a little bit. So we're, uh, the way that the original game kind of plays out, you head to Modestoke, then to Turfield, then to Hullbury, and then back to Modestoke. This so the latter half of the game follows a very similar format. Hammerlock, Stowe on side, Balan Lee, then back to Hammerlock, Sir Chester, Spike Myth, and then back to Hammerlock once and for all. So this suggestion I'm about to make is made tentatively, simply because I don't understand game design technical things. But I feel like it was very possible to have another exit in the wild area. Geographically, you can approach the wild area from the south via Wedgehurst, um, midway via the southern entrance of Modestoke, or the southern entrance of Hammerlock, located at the wild area's northernmost point. There's an area in the top left part of the wild area that's just slightly west of the, like, Hammerlock entrance. So, uh, I was just thinking that that corner of the wild area that's its own little isolated landmass, why couldn't this be another place where you could exit the wild area from? So in the game, it's not accessible until you beat the Sir Chester gym, because you need to be able to bike over water there. Um, in the game, you have a con convertible bike, basically. And once you get the get this one character, once you go through the route towards Spike Myth, once you get that character to hook you up with the tech so that way you can bike on water, only then can you bike over water. And only then does this part of the wild area become accessible. So I would change that up and just make it accessible to begin with. Um, 
And I'm going to turn back the clock a little bit more to when BD first approaches Hop and the player after exiting Moda Stoke, him wanting to challenge Hop because of Leon's uh, reputation. So in the original story, you're expected to head straight to Hammerlock, but what if you headed to Stoneside instead? So I mentioned before that you have a battle with Hop here following his loss to BD, i.e. you have a battle in Stoneside um, after his first major loss as a Pokemon trainer. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm willing to excuse that battle because he probably wanted to make up for the loss as soon as possible and he's determined to beat you. So look at this for reference if you're not familiar with it already. But if you take a look at the map of Galar, things would stay the same except for this new added path that leads directly to the Southern part of Stoanside. Then all the things that happen in Hammerlock work a lot better. I'd probably still have the dialogue reduced, but then Opal's short interaction with the player outside of Hammerlock, you know, like after the Team Yell scuffle, that doesn't need to happen. The battle with Team Yell can happen in reverse reverse order because here would be the new kind of order of events, if you will. Inst once you exit Moda Stoke and head north in the wild area, you head towards Stoan side, face and beat Hop, and then beat the gym right after. Then my suggestion to revise when you deal with the destruction of the mural fits a, a little bit better because you're already in Stoan side. And I should mention that in the original game, Team Yell blocks off the path to Glenwood Tangle, uh, which is this, this kind of fairy forest thing in between Stoan side and Balanly. They block the path to Glenwood Tangle until you've beaten the Stoan side gym. So this all works. With this revision, you could also have it that the route leading to Hammerlock is partially blocked off by Team Yell because you would have to beat the Stoan side gym before this route is accessible. And I justify this by saying that with less hardware to work with. Um, earlier games in the franchise do something similar, allowing you to explore near areas once a gym is beaten, but not freeing up everything to the point that you can just go wherever you want. So you, just, you still, you have to earn that, in my opinion. A lot of this is about earning. A lot of this game just gives stuff to you. I prefer that you actually have to earn where you can go and what you get. So after beating B or Alistair, you unlock the route so the player can head uh, eastward to Hammerlock, in advance for fast travel later, and then simultaneously have it now that Glimwood Tangle and Battlely are accessible. So then all the dialogue and exposition in Hammerlock fits a lot better, and have it so that the player first experiences the destruction of the mural, and then heads to the vault to see the paintings or so uh, to see, uh, sorry, the tapestries that Sonia describes in the vault. So I should mention that because Hammerlock is it's a big city. Um, at least within the context of Galar. So where the vault is located is on the west side of Hammerlock. Stoneside side is located to the west of Hammerlock. So basically when you first enter Hammerlock, the first place you will come across is the vault. So it, it just makes it just makes more sense to me. And then it would also feel less repetitive format-wise if you then have the player go to Surchester, Spike Myth, and then return to Hammerlock solved just by having an extra exit from the wild area into another Galar city. And ultimately, it wouldn't take so long to travel between the third and fourth gyms. You feel like it's a more direct path because it feels very circumventing to have the player to go to Hammerlock, home of the eighth gym, then do a bunch of cutscenes and dialogue and stuff, then head west, then go through a route, and then get to Stoan's side. I feel like a lot of this is fixed if you just added a new path from the wild area. <laughs> All right, let's get back to my commentary. So 
let's so we've unpaused right so now it's time to face raihan the last gym leader um and once he is beaten well then now it's time to head to winden in preparation for the final leg of the gym challenge so unlike previous pokemon games in this game you have what's called like a tournament where you face previously faced gym leaders and your three rivals in the game marnie Beatty, and hop so Beatty's battle is an interruption it's not a planned one and i'll touch on that a bit more later so before you can prepare to fight the champion though after i believe you win the tournament leon is missing an action and the players forced to go to the rose tower because guess what rose and elena are sus this part of the game is it's so 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 strange you and hop have multiple double battles against the macrocosmos employees within the tower and it is the most tedious thing in the world because you go up this elevator and every time you hit a floor two trainers approach you and hop this is so clunky and terrible for pacing because the only thing I suggest is reducing the number of battles or simply reducing how much time is in between the battles. There's literally nothing else I could do to fix this because it's just messy as it is. Leading up to this is a lot of dialogue too, so it just feels very drawn out. Once you reach the top floor, you battle Elena and she genuinely scares me, so this battle is fine, her battle music is fine. Um, uh, it, Everything about that battle and that segment, that cutscene where you talked to her, she's scary, it's fine, again. Things get weird again when the time actually comes to face Leon. <sighs> so if my digressions before weren't already confusing, it's just, it's just gonna get worse here. So to put it in context, you weren't meant to face Leon straight after the tournament, which I suppose is realistic. It's like, you need a break in between stuff. And that kind of reminds me of what the game was trying to do with the bud who drop in at the beginning of the game. But I'm not sure how I feel about waiting to face the champion because I get that there's elements of realism in this process because of the whole sports motif, but previous Pokemon games were never concerned with this kind of pacing in terms of realism and timing. It's like, oh yeah, you need to rest in between stuff. No, I'm okay. I'll just go to the Pokemon Center, heal up my team, and boom, I'm ready. I don't need, to, you know, a cutscene that like facilitates sleep and then you wake up like, I don't need that. Eh. Uh, cause I, in my opinion, just having it be like having a break between finishing the tournament and then supposedly facing Leon, it, it's a good way to ruin solid pacing because like having a cutscene and then dialogue and stuff like that, you know? Anyways, so you do eventually go to the stadium where you have to face Leon and you're both standing on the battlefield approaching each other great we're about to face the champion except that we are not so rose chairman rose makes an abrupt announcement to plunge the region into this weird interdimensional chaotic event vessel thing for the uh, there's future stuff happening he wants it to happen it needs to be stopped so there's no lead up to this at all absolutely none this is something i need to address in more detail again we're gonna get a digression here this is something i need to address in more detail because you are thrown in for a loop story-wise when this happens there's just no lead up, right? Rose doesn't do anything out of the ordinary before this. You have multiple conversations as the as my previous like previous comments have demonstrated. You've met the guy more than once. But you don't get a sense that they're going for a twist villain at all. So it's like it, it, you have the game didn't really go through much trouble to actually set his character up to be sus. So it's like, yeah, he ended up being sus. But it's not like that's entirely clear. 
There's maybe one or two instances that imply this about him, but despite all the time he spends talking to the player, you don't really get a setup for this. And if you could even call it a setup, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like it was earned, again, for Rose to be this like pseudo-antagonist, if you will. So, I don't know. In my opinion, Olena works a lot better as a villain, in my opinion, similar to a previous villain in an earlier Pokemon Core series games. She's a lot more suspicious, and even if it's a bit more predictable to have her be the villain, it makes more sense to me based on personality and motivations, since she is constantly warning Rose not to tell too much to the player whenever you do interact with Rose, because she's always in his presence. Um, and I'm not saying that characters with a default, like, rigid personality are inherently bad or should be the bad guy. That's not what I'm- that, that's not what I'd like to go for here. But I just don't think Rose works well as a game villain. So it's like, because I can't change this, I can't be, like, adding a new character to make as a better villain. The only other option would be Olena, but it's like... I- I don't know. He's so unassuming, and I couldn't take whatever threat he was posing to Galar that seriously, because it just kind of comes out of left field. And all that lore stuff with Sonia was supposed to foreshadow what Rose is planning, which is to bring back this catastrophic event to deal with this future energy crisis thing. But I don't know. This I didn't get a sense of this at all. I just thought I'd be camping and making meals for my Pokemon and sending them to do jobs and then making them giant occasionally when I have battles and stuff. I don't know. That's what I thought this game was about. To make things weirder, you have to go all the way back to the slumbering weld, the forest right next to your home because of the broadcast. You go from the northernmost city in all of Galar to the southernmost like town and area, which isn't a bad thing because by this point in the game you can fast travel, but considering how sudden this is without it feeling earned that it's like, yeah, I definitely went through the trouble of learning certain information and things like that and knowing that Rose was sus and he's the bad guy or something like that you're just bouncing around a whole lot again clunky so here 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 is where i shift some pretty important things around i have two different versions of this shift one version being much more significant in shifting than the other so if i go with the version that's not as drastic i would have rose broadcasts like have the rose broadcast happen right after beating olena I think you get a long cutscene around that anyway, so you just have the two events happen in conjunction with one another, and then you hop on over to the slumbering weld, or something. The more significant shift would be to have the entire Rose Tower episode and the broadcast happen before you even begin the tournament in Winden. So like, the less drastic version would be that it's like, uh, I still think you would have like, I guess, the Leon interaction, and then you get interrupted and have to go to the slumbering weld, but it's like, the Olena battle then the cutscene or whatever, and then the Rose broadcast that just all kind of happens within the same stretch of time. So my more drastic one would just be to have the all of the things that happen with Rose Tower and the broadcast happen before you even begin the tournament in, in Winden. Deal with this threat to the world before indulging in sports. I don't know. What requires more attention? Y you tell me. I should mention that one thing that really threw me off about this game, and this will make a bit more sense in a bit, one thing that really threw me off about this game is your first interaction with the legendary Pokemon of these games happens at the very beginning of the game, and the next interaction doesn't come for a very, 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 very long time. Pokemon being involved in the story should be a bigger deal, especially if they're legendary Pokemon. The Pokemon Core series games in previous games have always like harped on the fact that it's like, yeah, the legendary like the legendary Pokemon are so important when you run into them, that scene will matter. All the stuff leading up to it 
it's an accumulation of a bunch of different events merging into one, leading to this very definitive battle against this thing so you can catch it, it can be your best friend. This game doesn't, doesn't really do that at all. I don't get why the legendary Pokemon of this game are so underutilized. God, it's gonna be really hard for me to not be frustrated once I get to this part of the game. So let me just try my best here. So uh, in previous games, you deal with the legendary Pokemon and the threat to the world well in advance before the final leg of the gym challenge, which makes sense in my opinion. And I think having this be abrupt, like the whole Rose broadcast thing, that could have been a good thing, but it, it just, in my opinion, comes across as forced. It's not a twist you weren't expecting. It's like, oh, okay, this is happening, I guess, rather than, oh gosh, Rose is the bad guy and he's planning to mess with Galar and stuff and I gotta do something. It comes across more as the former than the latter. And my point is that this segment should not come in the middle of things. It should have its own dedicated segment. Think about the context, right? Rose interrupts the final battle against the champion and you have to go deal with whatever kind of trouble he's creating now. So let's think about it on the flip side. The region is being threatened by someone very powerful and it will be bad if things work out for this person it's better to stop them before completing the gym challenge because of this very, very big threat. So then you give the threat of the game more weight rather than subordinating it to this interruption in the gym challenge. In previous games, whenever there was a threat of any kind, small or astronomical, the game would basically come to a standstill. Until that threat is defeated or dealt with, peril will remain. And this is a mechanic I think the game should have brought back. So we're about like eight or nine pages into my like notes for commentary. And I feel like I've made a lot of criticisms that are kind of on the negative side rather than critiquing what the game has kind of done right. I feel like I can only think of like maybe three or four times where it's like, oh, this was okay. I don't know. I think I mentioned in part one that I would say some of the things this game has done right. And just so we're clear, it's not like the story is all bad more specifically the character arcs that are integrated with the story. So let's put this on pause for a bit. Let's just remember that we're talking about the Rose broadcast. He's interrupted the gym challenge and now the player has to go to the slumbering well. That's where we're at. So let's go into this digression now. I'd like to spend some time talking about Marnie and Beattie. So Marnie, she, she's kind of snarky, but in like a fun way, you know, she's a bit playful, wholesome. She's a great personality, bland, like blending ambition with competitiveness well without coming off as arrogant or in your face. She just kind of keeps to herself, does her own thing. Team Yale supports her and they're definitely her hype folk throughout the Pokemon journey. And you know, even she expresses disinterest in their constant efforts to you know, support her. Whoa, my voice is doing some strange things because you know what, we're gonna get into the rest of the, the, rest of the story and it's not gonna be fun. Her character arc follows that she wants to prove herself and avoid becoming a gym leader, uh, i.e. she wants to avoid replacing her brother Pierce, who I think I believe wants to retire. And because she loses to the player eventually in the tournament, she does end up succeeding Pierce. Pierce also appears in the post-game and his character is another strong one that I enjoyed, mostly because the game emphasizes their siblingship, which is a dynamic not really seen in Pokemon games. So character-wise, this is refreshing for both Marnie, Pierce, and then of course Marnie on her own. This all operates in tandem with Beattie's character, who's portrayed as somewhat arrogant and is the meanest of the three rivals who face the player. So Opal's role in the game is only elevated because of Beattie, so that way she could eventually find him and then select him to be her successor because he radiates like pink energy or something to that effect. I don't 
No. I should note that Opal's also like, she's like an older character. And I can't tell whether the game wants us to laugh at her or take her seriously. I really hope it's not the former because that's just really sad. I, I don't want to make a joke out of Opal. It's just hard to take her seriously though. Anyways, if we backtrack a bit, BD was sponsored by Chairman Rose, so that by proxy pits Leon against Rose because Leon endorses the player for the gym challenge and Rose endorsed BD. But because of the mural incident in Stoan's side, because BD destroys the mural, uh, Rose revokes his endorsement of BD and this forces BD to drop out of the gym challenge. So his character shows what life is like outside of those pursuing the title of champion and being a part of the gym challenge as Marnie, Hop, and the player are all still a part of. And I thought it was an interesting take considering that so much of the game remains when he's removed from the gym challenge. You, I believe you've only beaten the fourth gym by this point. Um, but even with that happening, he doesn't ever stop being your rival. He's still there to be a challenge for you and I love it. Um, I guess it, I suppose it's a bit out of order to mention this now, but after you beat Opal in Balamly and return to Bal, like uh, sorry, return to Hammerlock, i.e., when you're in Hammerlock, that's when she forces the idea onto him to make uh, make him her successor as the Balamly gym leader. And in an effort to reject her offer, he barges in during the tournament. Like during the tournament, that's that interruption I was talking about before. He barges in during the tournament um, in Winden and challenges the player just completely out of nowhere. He reconsiders rejecting Opal's offer because the people in the stand still cheered for him even though he lost. So that boosts, you know, his morale and that motivates him to become a better trainer. So Marnie and BD have really nice character arcs in my opinion. Even if they might not be the most spectacular, but they are solid and I can enjoy this. So let me now touch on Sonia, who I wasn't expecting to go into more detail about to be honest, but I I feel like I really haven't given her that much fair treatment. I think in my review of Pokemon Sword and Shield, I just kind of wrote her off as this very mediocre character, but you know, she is all right. She's our exposition character for lore, but if this was done better, I honestly think her character would have been really interesting and great, along with these other rivals, excluding Hoppa. Um, Cause you know, she's just, uh, she's not the same age as the player and she's closer to Leon in age. So her relationship to the player and Hop makes sense, and much like Marnie and Beatty, she reflects this somewhat implied theme that older characters are letting the youth take over, because Sonya's story arc is to become immersed in Galarian lore, and then to eventually become a Pokemon uh, professor, succeeding Magnolia. So, you know, additionally, though I think, it, it, even if it's simple, I think it's effective that effective that all these characters are actively trying to establish themselves in the world and fully realize their own identities without feeling like their identities is not theirs to have or that it wasn't earned. Marnie's okay without the hype and wants to be, you know, a strong trainer in her own right. She's ambitious and she just wants to, she wants to have that feel good victory. BD just literally wants to be happy. And Sonia wants to be good at what she does so that way she doesn't disappoint those around her. These are not bad themes to work with, and this is definitely evident in the game. A lot of Pokemon games show characters developing over time because of the people they meet through you as the player, so the self-discovery concept is pretty well established in the franchise, but I like you know, the, the, the characters they chose in this game to be vessels for these themes. And as a side note, in the case of Sonia, the DLC builds up on this career goal a lot more. I'm pretty sure she actually becomes like an like official Pokemon professor. This is all to say that Marnie, Beatty, and Sonia have decent character arcs that don't need much reorganizing because they're completely fine on their own. The problem lies more in all the other things I've discussed, which is 
how the story works around those characters and then the pacing of it. So I find it ironic a little bit that the story, like the character strengths kind of reveal the pitfalls of the game. But that was my character digression. So let's let's get back into it. If we can even remember what back to, to it means. So where were we last? So, so Rose has rudely interrupted your battle against Leon and you need to hop over, hop on over with Hop to the mysterious forest right next to your home, Slumbering Weld. This segment of the game can stay, obviously, no emission, no reorganizing, because it's where Hop and the player find the rusted sword and rusted shield, and then they fly on over to Hammerlock, since the forest is necessary for summoning the legendary doggos. You heard that right. I'll be referring to the legendaries as the legendary doggos from this point onwards. Sword doggo and shield doggo, respectively, unless I am quoting something from Bulbapedia. Since I honestly don't remember what dialogue was said, I would just say that it's maybe suggest dialogue cutting down and shorten refining the text so it's not meandering as much that's probably the only suggestion i'd make so back on over to hammerlock and you can now access a secret doorway that leads to this underground energy plant area thing i don't know and that's where you face rose who's ridiculously easy to beat you beat him and then you learn he's summoning eternatus to make the second darkest day possible <sighs> so here's the thing about eternatus that i'm having difficulty with I'm not quite sure what to do about this thing, because according to my rules, I can't actually... I can't change really anything, I don't think. I, let's... I don't know. I, I don't know what to do with this thing, so... Let me read out what Bulbapedia has to say about, the, about Eternatus and see if that helps. So, quote, Eternatus serves as the source of the Dynamax and Gigantamax phenomena in Galar due to its power leaking out in the form of Galar particles following its defeat thousands of years ago by Sword Doggo and Shield Doggo. Pieces of its body imbued its power rain down throughout Galar in the form of wishing pieces and wishing stars. When it is awake, Eternatus causes a phenomenon dubbed the Darkest Day, in which the massive quantities of Dynamax energy it, release, it unleashes causes Pokemon to Dynamax and Rampage uncontrollably. It can also sometimes keep other Pokemon from Dynamaxing in its presence. Despite this connection to the phenomenon, it cannot be Dynamax itself, as its Eternamax form replaces that effect. Eternatus has been referred to as the darkest day." End quote. Did that help? Unfortunately, we're gonna have to pause my commentary again. To explain what exactly this means, so let's 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 have a segment where we talk about Eternatus. <laughs> the darkest day was a pretty catastrophic day in Galarian history, as you can tell. It's rooted in chaos that eventually led to peace or something, I think, thanks to the doggos. Anyways, the wishing pieces refers to these like rock things that you can throw into these pits in the wild area that can summon Dynamax Pokemon in the wild area. Well, wishing stars are rock shards that allow you to Dynamax your own. Pokemon, provided that you have a Dynamax band. So at the beginning of the game, when Magnolia gives it to you, wishing stars fell on like the rivers, like like near the river, uh, the river shore, and you pick them up and give them to her, and then she outfits the bands for you. Anyways, the description for the wishing stars basically says that they are supposed to be fragments of Eternatus itself, and as described, Eternatus has the ability to make Pokemon Dynamax uncontrollably, and then also prevent Pokemon. Uh, that could potentially stop these uncontrollable Pokemon. It has the ability to stop those Pokemon from Dynamaxing, so it wouldn't be a fair fight. It's pretty chaotic. My theory is that maybe it's some kind of, if you really want it to reach, it's some kind of metaphor for climate change or something. 
if I really cared enough to theorize it, because the Pokemon franchise has, you know, they've impl implemented this motif before, albeit on a much smaller scale. And that last line, okay, that last line really gets me from the description. Ace Etern Eternatus is basically the darkest day. So obviously that's a lot to take in, but just bear with me, right? Let that sink in. Eternatus is the darkest day. So all the lore Sonia was building up was about how two doggos defeated this weird draconian thing that I don't even know how to describe, right? That's that's what all the tapestry's been about, right? Rose was intent on bringing this thing back to just ruin Galar. I would like to know why we don't ever get a sense that Eternatus exists earlier in the story. I'm pretty familiar with the early game, folks, but I cannot. For the life of me, remember if this game actually goes through the trouble of even subtly referencing Eternatus? Because I, I personally don't think they do. You get a heck of a lot about the doggos, but not this thing. Why? Why? We don't even need to get its name earlier. I understand not revealing that because you want to keep the suspense. I understand they kind of do the same with the doggos anyway. But because these games were marketed to be about Sword Doggo and Shield Doggo, obviously I was expecting to get this game and catch myself a Doggo swinging a sword in its mouth. Not this thing. This! Folks, is one of the biggest pitfalls in Pokemon Sword and Shield storytelling. Hands down. The, having Eternatus be this like twist Pokemon villain thing like Rose, the, the game did not do anything to earn this segment. It, it, it didn't go through any trouble to make this possible. The complete lack of lead up is, it's just, it's not fair. And the way the lore is explained feels rushed and not even like it's about Eternatus. It's like, I get that if it's supposed to be the equivalent of the darkest day, and I believe it's also what you see in like the hillside in Turfield, like that is supposed to be Eternatus. It, it's a lackluster hill drawing because it's it's a hill drawing. I, I'm not expecting much from it, so I'm not gonna harp on that too hard design-wise, but you, you go from learning about what was essentially the life of the doggos through Sonia, and then boom, Eternatus just manifests. And this description from Bulbapedia tells us, it, that what this shows us is that Eternatus is really important. But I don't ever get a sense of that when I'm playing through the game, all like like leading all the way up until Raihan's gym and then heading over to Winden. I don't ever get a sense of that. It plays out more like where the heck did this thing come from, rather than history's going to repeat itself and I need to do something about that because there is a crisis now. It's the former and not the latter, similar to something I said before. <sighs> so let me now resume my commentary. You now have to face this thing on top of Hammerlock, like the Hammerlock Tower or whatever it's called, because Leon fails to catch it. Okay, cool. We like a challenge. And then it Eternamaxes. Eternamaxes. I wish I was making these words up. The Bulbapita description mentioned that word too. Eternamax. It becomes a giant hand. A giant hand, folks. A giant hand. I used to dedicate a separate episode to Nintendo's weird obsession with making its villains be giant sentient hands or making the enemy have a, have disembodied floating hands. I mean, that's something. Anyways, this thing becomes really overpowered and in the sense that it's just so tedious to beat and because Dynamaxing logic in the game is never fully explained from a gameplay standpoint. They're just like, is it even possible to beat this thing? Why am I trying? I don't like it here. 
Um, but thanks to you and Hop having the rusted sword and shield, you're able to summon the, the doggos in time. So they swoop in and help you battle Eternatus, who's in giganto form. To be clear, sword doggo and shield doggo are not yet your Pokemon. They're just pitching in so they can make history again. They're just there to help. And then once that's dealt with, you can catch Eternatus and boom, crisis averted. Folks, you did it. You have solved all the problems. Gay, the doggos leave, you head back to Winden, sleep for three days, and only now is it actually time to face Leon. That's correct, folks. It's only now that you're able to face Leon. So I need to readdress the Eternatus situation again, because pacing-wise, this is such a mess. <laughs> We're not given, you know, much build up to its existence prior to when we actually hear its name for the first time. So I want to treat Eternatus like it's important, but I don't feel like it is. Even if the game makes a big deal out of it and gives us a really flashy cutscene and shows us of it distorting dimensions, I, nope, I'm not taking it seriously. And if we were to reorganize the events and have all the stuff at Macrocosmos happen prior to the tournament starting, then this creates a different problem for pacing. Maybe, possibly. So if we were to go with the, like one of my reorganized versions, Rose's broadcast happens right after you beat Olena. Uh, then you head over to the Slumbering Weld. Then you head back to Hammerlock. And then within Hammerlock, you deal with this monstrosity. Then you catch it. Then you go to Winden. So this could also come off as stopping the momentum of the gym challenge, which it kind of would. But in my opinion, I, I don't know, even if this is a bit more abrupt in uh, more ways than one, this still works better overall because I should mention another thing this game is lacking. In previous core series Pokemon games, you had an area known as Victory Road, which was oftentimes a subterranean area littered with strong Pokemon trainers that poses like last stretch of folks you will have to face before the final elite trainers and the league champion. And it's, it's a place to test out all the puzzle solving skills you've accumulated over the course of the game because there's other environments that require you to use your brain. So it's like, use your brain now and win. It's like like a final test of strength. The, 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 the Pokemon Sword and Shield, they do not they do not have this. So let's pause the commentary yet again to explain why this game not having Victory Road matters. So after beating Raihan in the original storyline, after you beat Raihan, you go straight from Hammerlock to Winden. I think there's a route in between, but that's about it. In older Pokemon games, the final gym was a good, it was good, some good ways away from the home of the Elite Foreign Champion. Uh, usually like a route, then Victory Road, and then you get to like the building that has the Elite Foreign Champion. So the Sword and Shield version is very short. Now, with that being said, Sword and Shield gives us, like, instead they give us the tournament format, which is very much consistent with their whole football soccer motif. Victory Road as a game segment is objectively more tedious in terms of getting through it, but at least it gives you time to train up and prepare all you need to before facing those last couple of really tough trainers that stand between you and the completion of the game. So one thing I cannot change at all about Sword and Shield is the fact that no matter what I shift around at this point, it's probably still going to be clunky. Um, regardless, because of how rushed the gameplay is prior to the battle against Leon and all those shenanigans with Rose, Eternatus, and the Doggos, it's just, I feel like it's inevitably going to be really, really annoying and difficult to get through. But anyways, god, after everything is dealt with, you can finally face Leon. No interruptions. Yay! You beat him, and then we move on to the post-game. I want to fall asleep. Thankfully, this section will be really short because I just dislike how the post-game was handled. I can't I can't actually change what happens in the gameplay, and I appreciate the small effort made by the game to redeem Hop's character. 
make him somewhat likable. But you, come on, Swordward, Sword, Swordward, and Shieldbert? Are you genuinely asking me to take these guys seriously? Sword, Swordward, whose hair is shaped like a sword, and Shieldbert, whose hair is shaped like a shield? These are supposed to be like the pseudo antagonists of the post game because they're just making your life just difficult for no reason. You want me to take these guys seriously? Because I cannot. And, you know, here's the thing. The elephant in the room, or rather the doggos in the room that need to be addressed, is how this game handled its legendary Pokemon. So, I've said time and time again that Sonya's expositions mostly, if not entirely, focus on Sword Doggo and Shield Doggo, um, in terms of the tapestries and all the statues and stuff you find. It's all related to the doggos. You are not able to catch either doggo depending on what version you get until somewhere around the end of the pose game. To me, this is preposterous. Why? These games, these games should have been like named like Eternal e Eternatus Sword, Eternal Sword and Eternatus Shield. It's like, did, name it after Eternatus or something. That would have fit much better in terms of titles, and I mean that sarcastically, because that, that would be- I, I wouldn't like that as a game title, to be honest, and I don't like Eternatus at all, so I don't- I don't think that's what I would want. I don't think I'd buy this game if it was Eternatus. Okay, maybe I'm being a bit extreme. I'm gonna stop digressing. <sighs> Why the heck would you have your box art legendary Pokémon that are super important to the lore, and one of the side characters' main focus of research, be catchable well after they have done their duty to save Yalar and then only have them catchable when two dorks who didn't tell their barber to fix their hair when they were younger decide they want the monarchy back? I'm sorry, what? This, does this make sense to anyone? It doesn't to me, it really doesn't. Because if you want it, want to hear a big shift from me, it would be to have the doggles catchable and oh i don't know somewhere like in the main story and then having these shenanigans with sword head and shield face require the presence of these two pokemon so i should mention that hop gets one of the doggos depending on the version you buy so it can happen that you either have sword or shield doggo whom you need to use in some way that's relevant to lore and dynamaxing or some part of the post game like that would be a revision of mine while dealing with the hassle of sword head and shield face because of their obsession with the doggos and the tie to the monarchy or something it's supposed to go that again depending on the version you get um sword head and shield face will steal either the rusted sword or shield which you will then need to retrieve, and I believe is also essential for Hop to have in order to have one last battle with you. So there, there we have it, folks. Around 13 pages of notes and suffering. This is my commentary on the main game and some of the things that I think could, I believe, could have been implemented, what I think, you know, should have been reorganized. So this is, as you know, a lot to digest. This is basically part one, finished, of the deconstruction. So I will now summarize my new revised version of the storyline, provided with tentative suggestions that reflect on things I can't change, but I think would help the revised storyline. <sighs>